Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we wrap up Paul's instruction through Ephesians chapter 5 on marriage. One of our elders, Paul Jacobs, will be helping to lead us through this passage where the Apostle Paul recounts Jesus' own instruction that is built from God's design back in Genesis concerning marriage as a divinely designed covenant. Thanks for joining us today as we focus on the nature and the importance of oneness within marriage. So, did you ever have one of those um, puzzle-like necklaces that came in two pieces? When the two pieces were joined together, the incomplete message on both halves comes together to give a readable message. So it might have said, I will love you forever. It might have said, I love you more today than yesterday, but not as much as tomorrow. But the message didn't come together until the two pieces were joined together. I think Paula and I had one like that one time. Marriage can be a little bit like that necklace at times. Someone created both sides to fit together for the wearer. Both sides of the necklace were different, but there was not one side that was better than the other. And when the two pieces were placed together, they took on a whole new meaning. With a new message and a new purpose. Apart, they had much less meaning. Together they formed one complete piece. And that new piece was a symbol of the feelings each person had for each other. Well, that's not exactly what God has done for us in marriage, except that there is a creator with a plan. Two people who've been brought together. And most importantly, from this illustration, we see that neither of the parts has greater value to the creator. But each may contribute a slightly different piece of the overall message. And the greatest value in this creation is what we see when the parts are joined together in the proper way. From Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. In any case, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman. But all things come from God. Why should we be concerned about the oneness of marriage? What is happening in our society today without healthy, godly marriages? Well, husbands and wives are mostly a sad statistic in our culture. Roughly half of all marriages today end in divorce. Christian marriages, too. And 35% of all children in our country live in a fatherless home. Sick families even affect Christ's church, both locally and globally. Our society is weakened when we fail to have strong families because families are the foundation of our society and marriage is the foundation of the family. Notice, Satan didn't bother Adam until he got married. He knew that he would have to destroy the institution of family to gain a foothold in the world. If we want to experience the peace, purpose, and provision God intended for us in marriages. Couples need to return to God and align our marriages under him. If you want to take out your Bibles again, if you want to join me in reading today's sermon text, it's found on page 1669. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 through 33. 
page 1669. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So how do we define marriage? Heterosexual marriage is not merely a Christian institution. Marriage was an institution created by God for the purpose of prosperity, protection, and propagation of civilization. Marriage is a covenant between God and a man and a woman. It's a three-way covenant. Our culture thinks about marriage in terms that are different. They think about it in terms of love, happiness, and fulfillment. That's what the news tells us we need, right? Merely a legal contract. But these are not the most important aspects. In the Bible, a covenant is a spiritually binding relationship between God and his people, inclusive of certain agreements, conditions, benefits, and effects. Uh, Also, if you'd like to join me, a reading from uh, Malachi, the book of Malachi, on page 1367. My not having a full PowerPoint is good for us getting to touch our Bibles, isn't it? Uh, Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. Why? Because you've been unfaithful. This is a marriage covenant. God speaks of marriage as a covenant. A husband and wife become a new creation when they enter the covenant of marriage. Looking at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and unites with his wife, and they become one family. Their oneness is a new identity. Let's see if I can run this here. Okay, so observation number one. Their wedding is actually like two funerals. (laughs) They are no longer separate units, but only one. They're united. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, he answered, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be united with his wife? and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two. 
but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God puts the couple together. And this is repeated again in Mark uh, chapter 10. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So we hear that again. Um, one example that I have, I kept thinking about an example about oneness. And uh, a couple people here uh, who are involved in dentistry will understand this. Uh, about 20 years ago, we started treating gum infection in our dental office. And uh, we wanted to find the cause of the problem, so we started doing DNA testing to check and see what kind of bacteria lived underneath people's gums. And every person that we checked that had gum infection, they had different levels of all different bacteria. And we get a chart of what there was. And all of a sudden, sometimes we would treat a person, they wouldn't get healthier, and we couldn't figure out why. And so we would test their spouse. And lo and behold, their spouse had almost the identical profile, amount, and type of bacteria living under their gums. And so when I've lectured to dentists and hygienists about this for 20 years, I've said, you know, the two become one flesh. And uh, that was kind of, a, kind of an eye-opener for me. But again, you know, God's word is true, right? Observation number two. Thank you. As Jesus cared for the church, men caring for their wife is caring for their own body. Jesus gives us the example of oneness as he makes the church one flesh through the cross. Paul parallels in these texts that a man becomes one with his wife through marriage. He must not neglect any part of his body, and that includes his wife. From today's reading, verse 29 for no one has ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and takes care of it, just as Christ also does the church. And in verse 32, this mystery is great, but I'm actually speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So Paul speaks to marriage, but he says, I'm actually speaking about Christ and the church, and then he finishes speaking about marriage again. So he's speaking both about the sacrifice that Christ made for the church, but he's paralleling it to the sacrifice that a man makes for his wife. Third observation. A husband's love for his wife affects her heart, while a wife's respect for her husband affects his ego. Uh, this is a statement by uh, a Christian author named Tony Evans. And uh, as I was reading through that book, you know, I, I mulled over this message, and I, I talked with Paula about it, and, and um, I hadn't really heard it put that way before. And the more I thought about it, it just it made sense. So people want to be loved and respected in different ways. A friend of mine who's done couples counseling told me once that one of the main causes of discord in a marriage is when someone's not being loved the way they want to be loved. Some of the ways a man can show love to his wife is with words of affirmation, spending quality time, giving gifts, acts of service, or physical touch. <coughs> There's a book about that. Not surprisingly, women can show their husbands respect by honoring their husbands in, in the same ways. When my wife treats me honorably and with respect, 
which is almost always I have to say. I see that as love. So let's, let's talk a little bit specifically about covenant. And we're going to get a little technical here. Uh, there's three fundamental parts that make up a covenant. Transcendence, hierarchy, and ethics. So, observation A. First, transcendence means that God is in charge. God is both the author and the authority of the marriage covenant. He made it, and he's in charge of it. In studying the Bible, there's something called the law of first mention. If you want to see what God says about a matter, look at the first time he brings it up. Marriage starts in the book of Genesis. Before there was sin, there was marriage. Uh, If you want to look with me, uh, search for page 2 in your pew Bible. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So mankind is made as a mirror of the Trinity. Man is made in our image after our likeness. Body, soul, and spirit. And this established mankind in the divine institution called family to reproduce God's image. God gives them a common goal. He says your common goal is to exercise dominion over the world in which I placed you. And God said, let them lead. He didn't say we must lead. He gave us the freedom to lead. Sometimes our lack of leading explains why there's chaos in the world. Men and women share in this God-given responsibility of exercising dominion over his creation through their covenant of marriage. Their oneness in marriage allows them to complement each other according to God's design. When God fashioned Adam and Eve, when God fashioned Eve for Adam, it said that she was a helper suitable for him. In Hebrew, these words in the creation story are ezer and kenegdo. Most often these words are used to refer directly to God the Father in a superior form as they speak of the fashioning of Eve. In Psalm 33, 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help, ezer, and our shield. And in Psalm 75, 70, verse 5. But I am afflicted and needy. Hasten to me, O God, you are my help. Ezra. A woman's help can only be defined as a strong help and completion. The 
The second fundamental part that makes up a covenant is hierarchy. A hierarchy simply defined as a chain of command. It's an order that functions within a particular alignment. Covenants only work when they function in God's ordained order. How does Satan disrupt the first marriage? He did so by switching the order in the relationship. Think about it. He went to Eve first on purpose. Adam was there, but he became a passive responder. Roles got reversed, and there was trouble in paradise. So what is God's ordained biblical alignment for the family? From 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now Christ is the head of every man, but in marriage, the man is the head of a woman, not all women. All men are not over all women, and not in work relationships, and not in other relationships. We need to be very clear on that. Even Jesus cannot get out of the hierarchy relationship with the Father. So neither can you or I. Jesus said that he had come, and I quote, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. From John chapter 4, verse 34. Revisiting again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. We read that every man is underneath Christ. The main breakdown in marriages comes from men failing to come under the headship and authority of Christ. Men, are you submitting to Christ? Men need to decide to come under spiritual authority. Remember, Eve talked to the devil in the garden. But it's Adam who is blamed for sin entering the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And the blessings are many for those who follow God's hierarchy. Uh, if you read with me again in Psalm 128, it's on page 888, Psalm 128, 1 through 4. Psalm 128, 1 through 4, page 888. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. The third fundamental part of a covenant is ethics, the operation of marriage. Ethics can be defined as building something by the instructions as God is the designer. Ethics includes rules, sanctions, and continuity. And I'll speak to each of those, these three interdependent elements. 
Marriage is God's house. He's the author and the authority. He sets the rules. A few years ago, there was um, a snowstorm and a car accident. Some people were driving from Escanaba up to Marquette. And uh, the husband and the wife had left their children at home. And the accident was bad. The husband and wife both had to go into the intensive care unit. And there was nobody to take care of the children. Now, they were new in Escanaba, so what do you, what do, you do? You'll, you call your dental hygienist. <laughs> so the only person they do in Escanaba was the dental hygienist. So they called my dental hygienist, and it's like, our children are at home with someone we don't know what to do through another person because they actually were intubated. They, they had a hard time speaking. So long story short, our hygienist called Paula's sister in Marquette. And she ran over to the hospital and um, got the children. The children had gotten up there another way. So she got the children, and it was snowing. So she brought the children to her house. Now, these two children were quite unruly children. And they ran through her house, and they threw things, and they took their cars, and they ran them on the top of all of the furniture and were trying to wreck the place. And so Peggy, Paula's sister, said, no, you can't do that. They said, well, you're not the boss of us. She said, no. She said, Peggy's house, Peggy's rules. The kids stood back, stood back and the whole time, they, every time they got out of, out of control, they looked at Peggy and they said, Peggy's rules. <laughs> so we're operating... Uh, under God's rules. You can't get God's results without operating by God's rules. This is God's house. Covenants have rules, but there are only two rules to a godly marriage. From today's text, in verse 33, Nevertheless, each one of you must also love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love and respect. Two simple rules. Men, love here is to pursue the well-being of another. Biblically in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Since God is love, love must be defined with God as a standard. How did Christ love the church? As Savior. Love means sacrificing. I think Phil alluded to that last week. Christ sacrificed for the church, and men ought to sacrifice for the benefit of their wives. Be willing to give up things that are important to you for something that your wife legitimately needs for her well-being. As sanctifier, theologically, this means to take something from where it is and turn it into what it ought to be. A husband sanctifies through living and teaching truth and modeling a life fully aligned with the principles in God's word. And as satisfier. Men must value their wives the same way they value themselves. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, treat your wives with consideration as the weaker partner, and show them honor as fellow heirs of the grace of life. In this way, nothing will hinder your prayers. This was kind of a tough message, and um, 
Paula and I talked about this this week, and we read a lot about it, read a lot of um, uh, studies about the Bible on it, and what things had, uh, what people had to say about it. And uh, men may often be physically stronger than women. That's just a clear fact. For the most part, men are stronger than women, physically. But as a fellow heir, men and women are both equal spiritual partners. Spiritually, we need to honor women because they are the equal heirs in Christ's redeeming death and resurrection. Oneness in marriage means that husbands remember that their wives' opinions matter, that her thoughts matter, her perspective, her presence matters. Make sure you wisely consider your wife's input before finalizing serious decisions. I want to talk just a little bit about sanctions. God will respond to us with blessings or hold back his blessings in line with how we keep his covenant. We call these benefits and losses sanctions. It's a term used to describe the blessings and the curses that accompany the covenant. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 9, Deuteronomy 29, 9, Therefore, keep the terms of this covenant and obey so that you may be successful or prosper in everything you do. Obey so that. Let's talk for a moment about the oneness in sexual intimacy. Communion is a symbol of renewal of the oath that you made at baptism. Sexual intimacy, like communion is the revisiting of the oath made at the time of marriage. The oath declaring two individuals to now be united as one flesh. Sexual intimacy is to marriage what communion is to the cross. It's a revisiting of the foundational oath of the covenant. What does this oneness in the covenant of marriage mean for our children and grandchildren? The marriage covenant carries a continuity with it. There's a transfer of the inheritance of the benefits and curses of the covenant to future generations. It was God's intent when he started in the garden with Adam and Eve that the results of the marriage covenant would be passed down generationally through their offspring. We read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, iniquity of the fathers, on the children, and on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. So even unto the third and fourth generations. Our following or our transgressions will have a lasting legacy. Many today are burdened by their parents' indiscretions. Amen for that. Our actions in marriage affect our children and generations. So as I'm winding up to a close here, let me give you just a few applications. Remember that what makes true oneness is unity of purpose. Even though each spouse has a distinct personality and distinct gifts and abilities, 
God designed the covenant of marriage for us to join together and become one flesh, a new body, and have dominion over his creation. Application one. Align your marriage with God's covenant. If you don't currently see God as a strong third partner in your marriage, it's never too late to rededicate your marriage to aligning with his sovereign design. Invite him in. If he built it, and if he wills it, he will come. Number two. Remember and put into practice God's two simple rules, love and respect. God demands it. Listen carefully. He monitors it. And he rewards it. Don't make him hold back his blessings. And thirdly, claim your access to the inheritance and power of Jesus' resurrection. As husband and wife, choose to follow Christ. Jesus, allow Jesus to be the primary focus in your married life and be an example to others of a Christ-centered life. We are made up of body, soul, and spirit to reflect the Holy Trinity. Physical attraction will eventually fade away. Our souls, distorted through our history or our personal sin, can lead to conflict and relational problems, but not oneness. However, when the Holy Spirit unites with our spirits and we align ourselves under the purposes and directions of God, He makes us one. When Christ rose from the dead, He gave mankind access to the power of His resurrection and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That power and presence can enable husbands and wives to live together, love each other, trust each other, and share life together until death parts you. All this comes only in and through God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for this message and we thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. Um, Today we just, we see the importance of your plan for us in this world. Lord, we, we understand that uh, you have a plan and a path for us and a design. And Lord, we pray that um, marriages would be strong in our church and outside of our church. Lord, we pray that people would come to know you and know that you are their Lord, their Savior, and their solution for those things that ail them. And Lord, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen.